Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. As candidates are continuing to ramp up their voter engagement, Ahead of November 8th, well, now Georgia, Republic, Georgia Republican Senate hopeful Herschel Walker calls the latest allegations against him, quote, foolishness and a lie. I fled Dallas within days after the abortion and did not go back to even visit for the next 15 years because I was so traumatized by what Herschel had put me through. Another woman now accusing the Republican U.S. Senate nominee of paying for an abortion will have more on this and get the latest news regarding the upcoming midterm and statewide races and also an update on that Fulton County special grand jury. Plus, a new multi-million dollar donation is touted as critical for Children's Health Care of Atlanta. Those conversations are coming up in just a moment. But first this, families of Atlanta public school students will soon be able to schedule a virtual doctor's visit for their kids free of charge. APS says it's partnered with the telehealth platform Hazel Health to offer care to kids at no cost to their families. And those services include therapy sessions and short-term mental health support, as well as in-school checkups. APS says the move is because many students face significant barriers to equitable health care and sometimes face month-long wait times for therapy. And this is something we'll probably talk about with health of health officials from Children's Health Care of Atlanta. And a note of disclosure, WAB's broadcast license is held by the Atlanta Public Schools. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has announced a $36 million loan to improve high-speed Internet in middle Georgia as part of its rural development efforts. Now, this money will go to public service telephone company to provide fiber optic for more than 21,000 people in Macon and surrounding counties, including more than 300 farms. USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack says the investment is made possible by President Biden's infrastructure package. I think the most important aspect of this is the president understands that it's got to be everywhere. Regardless of the size of the community, we still have to make sure, as we did with rural electrification, that everybody has an opportunity to take advantage of this technology. And if you're wondering why farmers, well, understand this. Farmers rely on high-speed Internet for a variety of reasons, like following commodity markets, tracking weather patterns, and automating machines and services through smart farming. The court hearing the case over Georgia's abortion law has set a deadline for both sides to submit final legal briefs in mid-November. A decision is expected sometime after that. At a trial this week, Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney heard conflicting testimony from physicians and others about the impact of the law that bans abortions at six weeks of pregnancy, with some exceptions. Monica Simpson is director of the Sister Song organization, a plaintiff in the lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of the law. I'm personally hoping that, you know, all the testimonies that we heard, that they are taken into consideration by this judge, that he understands them, that he hears them, and that he moves to make the right decision that will make sure that bans like this one that we are dealing with right now are no longer in place. Supporters of House Bill 41 say the law does not harm women and includes exceptions for miscarriages as well as for rape and incest if victims file a police report. Now, the number of new COVID confirmed COVID-19 cases is down again this week to almost 3,900. Some good news. But the number of people hospitalized for the virus is up since last week by more than 30 patients. Health officials are warning of another potentially difficult winter of more COVID cases, hospitalizations and deaths. And again, they're urging Georgians to get fully vaccinated and boosted to avoid the most serious illness. And finally... No, Michael Myers is not a guest on today's program, but if he were, and if he actually talked, he might say, when is Cheshire Bridge going to reopen? 
just I'm, I, I'm just asking questions. We've been asking the city. Now, allegedly, it was going to be open by Halloween, but my producer, Daniel Rezale, has been on it. And this is the official word from the city. Quote, the city is working on its official response. Please stand by. Close quote. By the way, the movie Halloween Ends is a must-see for an age-appropriate audience. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE here in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. As I mentioned earlier, families of Atlanta public school students will soon be able to schedule a virtual doctor's visit for their kids free of charge. And those services include therapy sessions and short-term mental health support. And given the most recent data revealing 15% of youth have experienced a major depressive episode this year, and also more than 60% of youth with major depression do not receive any, any mental health treatment. And even in states where they say the mental health access is pretty good. Now, also, keep in mind there are racial and ethnic disparities when we talk about access to mental health and wellness conditions among children of color, children in rural communities. And now comes a major announcement from Children's Health Care of Atlanta. It's an historic initiative or project to provide behavioral and mental health treatment and care to children and adolescents in need. And joining me now with more about this major announcement is Donna Hyland, CEO of Children's Health Care of Atlanta, and Dr. John Constantino, Chief of Behavioral and Mental Health at Children's Health Care of Atlanta. Welcome to you both. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Rose. Great to be with you. Thank you so much. Let's back up a little bit, and I'm going to start with with you, Doctor, because I gave just some brief stats about what we know in the last few years in terms of children and and youth and teen needing access to mental health services. What do you want our our audience to know about what you've all been experiencing and seeing in the last, let's say, five years, and especially since the pandemic? Well, Rose, things are things are getting worse, but they've always been exactly as you've described, that there's so much unmet mental health needs of children. And, you know, there there are really excellent treatments that are available that a majority of children are not getting access to until it's too late Mm -hmm. and their conditions have worsened and and they're, you know, reaching crisis proportions. And what have we seen now within the last couple of years related to the pandemic? We've seen an uptick as well in terms of not just needs, but also we're able to track that so many have not even begun to seek some type of resources or, or, or health needs here, mental health needs. Absolutely. I think the, the isolation of the pandemic and, you know, all of the consequences of the of the time and, and the trauma to families and so forth has really uh, contributed to a, a gradual, historically gradual increase in the prevalence and, and severity of mental health conditions of youth. And so I think at this point, the, the gap between uh, what children need and what they're able to get access to has, has reached uh, a, a crisis that is, is worthy of everyone's attention. Uh, and I, I think it's very important for the for your listeners to know also that there always has been uh, such a gap in, in, in mm-hmm. the United States for years, uh, decades. There's been a seven year delay in the timing of the onset of a mental health condition and the time when a child actually receives any kind of mental health treatment for it. That's mm-hmm. on average. Mm-hmm. CEO Highland, let me bring you into this. You heard what the doctor said. What do you want to add about folks needing to understand that when we talk about the needs, mental health needs and behavioral needs for kids and, and teens, what do you want folks to know that we are in a critical, critical space right now? 
Yes, so Rose, thank you. Thanks for helping to, to get this word out because I think one of the most important things that kids and families need to hear is that there are people like us working on their behalf and we wanna help them. Um, one of the things that children's for a hundred years has been dedicated to is understanding the needs of children and then working to see what can we do. This is a giant problem that not, it, it's gonna take all of us working together. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I'm excited about is how do we how do we do that? But our children's board recognized back in late 2018, early 2019, just how significant this issue was. And um, thankfully, we have been able to set aside um, over $550 million of our endowment to say that we're going to invest in adding these resources that Dr. Constantino talked about are incredibly needed to help get some of these people that can help the kids that are in need. So that enabled us to recruit Dr. Constantino here, a world mm -hmm. leader in, in adolescent and child mental health to really tell us now, how do we use that most effectively to help as many kids as we can? And you mentioned kids of color, um, are particularly impacted. We see that we take care of all kids from all across the state of Georgia, all 159 counties, and we see those needs. And that's one of the things that we are so dedicated to, because it is extremely important for mm -hmm. us that all kids have access to mental health, not just those that have the ability to finance it. And I want to get to the gift in a moment, but I want to back up because you, you, you said something that sparked another question for me, and that is, and I've talked to parents who've said, I didn't know where to turn. Now, you just heard that story about APS, which is, is a huge for a school district. But comment, talk about in sense of when you hear parents say, I, I just don't know where to turn. And maybe finances is the big reason. But sometimes folks just do not know that these services are available. I think often when we think of Children's Health Care of Atlanta, yeah, you know, obviously the, the physical the things that you all do for kids, but the mental health resources, folks may not know that that's even available at a place like yours. I think that's absolutely true. And part of, you know, part of the work that we're doing, I think you also see that families are just desperate. They don't, they really don't know where to go. And it, there is a huge shortage of, of resources. Mm -hmm. And so a big part of this plan is working, first of all, to get the word out on prevention, because, mm -hmm that's what we really need to do is focus on how do we keep kids from getting to the point that they're in some type of crisis and dr constantino has taught us seven years from the time of an onset to the time you get treatment yeah i mean think about that if you had diabetes or if you had cancer and it started coming on and you knew it and you couldn't get help for seven years so that's one of the things that excites me so much because one thing we know in pediatrics is early changes everything yeah. And if you can identify early and get help, you're going to keep those kids from getting into any type of, of a crisis. So um, I'm I'm very excited about we've launched a resilience campaign that is is out there just really helping parents and kids think mm -hmm. about your resilience. How do you build up your resilience? Mm -hmm. How do you understand you're going to fail? You're going to have you're going to stumble. And how do we then help them build those muscles to be able to deal with that mm -hmm. and for that not to create so much anxiety or depression for them? So we're, we're doing work on the preventive side. We're doing work on the building the clinical programs for those kids that need it. And mm -hmm. that's I'm going to let Dr. Constantino talk about that. Yeah. And then there's once a child is in crisis, what we've also seen is when they get through that acute phase which might be five days, 10 days, whatever, they need a lot of care for a long mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And they're having a hard time getting that as well. So a big part of what we're doing is that. And that's why this amazing gift that we received from David and Helen Zalek is so critical because that's going to provide us the place to provide a lot of this care. Let's let's stop there and let's talk about that, because often we hear about financial gifts, but you all get more than just a, a financial gift. You, you, when you're getting a gift that has a financial value to it, you getting some property, some land. Right. And it has buildings on it. And guess <laughs> what? 
We just recruited Dr. Constantino in September. He is rapidly recruiting more doctors like him and licensed clinical social workers and, and different uh, people to come help provide this access. But we have to have a place to put all those folks. Right. This gift provides us with that place to put these amazing people that he's bringing, that he's recruiting to be able to care for these kids. And so it's, it, you're right. It's, it, it, it has a lot of monetary value, but more importantly, it is land that is almost, it is within sight of the new Arthur and Blank Children's Hospital. And um, we're going to be able to have a campus dedicated to kids with mental and for mental and behavioral health. So an entire campus, you got what, two buildings? Yes, and 10 acres. Wow. Uh, did, did you ask for this or did they send you an email? <laughs> How did this happen? I know. Isn't that amazing? Um, you they know, send you a text had, and said, hey, CEO, would you yeah, like? <laughs> no, didn't quite happen like that. But they are wonderfully generous people. It was really through just some relationships that, have, you know, it's like anything in life. It's about relationships that you build over time. And we had built a relationship with some of the Green Sky leadership, which is the company that David Zalek um, is CEO of. Mm -hmm. And then David and Helen knew some people that were affiliated with Children's. And Helen shared with us a lot of her friends' kids have suffered from mental and behavioral health issues. So when David sold his company, they were they had put together, they developed their foundation. They're very philanthropic and they decided they really wanted to help mm -hmm. with mental and behavioral health. And because we were launching into this program, it was really just amazing that it came together because it's right down the road from the new children's mm -hmm. hospital. So we did get a call um, and they said, if you all, the first call was, if you all had something like this, what could you do with it? And boy, did we start dreaming. And you already knew. <laughs> that dream led to, yeah, that dream led to this extraordinary gift from these extraordinary people. I, I just can't say enough about them because they are, they are lovely, lovely and, and they care. And yeah. what they're doing is going to provide an incredible resource for Dr. Constantino and his team to do their jobs. Let's talk about that, Dr. Constantino. Now that you have this building that you didn't know you're going to have when you came on board, or did you? I don't know in September, but now you have this. Let's talk about, if you can, some specifics. What you all will be able to offer for households? Well, Rose, the um, you know uh, the the campus that David and Helen Zalek is, is making possible. I want to I kind of go back to, to the, the notion. This is, a, this is a family that is very committed to the development of children and the strategic support of a community. And so in, in, in making this gift to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, what they're enabling is a platform for us to do exactly what you talked about at the very opening of this segment, mm -hmm. which was families don't know where to go. Right. And one of the reasons why families don't know where to go is that there's no owner of mental health care for children within health systems in, in care as usual. Families are told, go, go here for this service or go there for that service or do this, you know, if you have this problem or that problem. But in terms of, in, in terms of the health system or an owner where, where, if their child has diabetes or cancer, they know exactly who to go sure. to. They know, they, they know, but, but, but knowing where to turn when you're in a mental health quandary with a child, one has to go to a place that is able to respond to the needs and respond to them comprehensively and not turn you back out to somebody else. And so this whole platform represents the importance of not having fragmented care, mm -hmm. but having care where all of the components of mental health treatment are staged in an integrated way. And that doesn't mean that all the care will happen on that campus, but some of the people even delivering care remotely to rural areas mm -hmm. are in communication and working side by side with people who are in different disciplines and part of the entire plan for not only putting the whole strategy together for the life and, and development and ownership of the care of a child with a mental health condition, but also the ownership of the proposition of how do how does Children's Healthcare of Atlanta 
work with the community mm-hmm. in an integrated way so that we all have a system. And I have a question related to that because, as you all know, because you are in this space, that cultural competency is also so important in your landscape. And so, Dr. Constantino, you are going to be responsible for maybe recruiting and bringing folks in and, and the efforts. I'm curious, the efforts that you all that you will lead to making sure you have a very diverse group of, of therapists and staff to work with different cultures, different folks from different communities with their households, with their kids. Absolutely. And one of the things that I'm very proud of to be here in Atlanta and uh, to be part of the team of Children's Healthcare of Atlanta is that one of the prototypic places where Children's has made its early investments in the mental health of children has been within its hospitals for children who have medical conditions that also have mental health conditions that Mm -hmm. need social work, care coordination, therapies, consultation, a treatment and evaluation uh, for co-occurring mental health conditions. And our nursing and social work and professional core Mm -hmm. within that system is as diverse and representative of the population of any place that I have ever seen in my own, you know, kind of role and uh, 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 oversight of, uh, of, of, public health and, mm-hmm. and clinical operations in my own previous work in St. Louis and around the country. I'm very proud of that. And, and we fully intend to continue that tradition. You mentioned St. Louis. I pretty yes. much grew up at Cardinal Glennon Hospital. Not grew up there. I went there when I broke my ankle playing basketball. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was that's where I'm from. And uh, uh, not from Cardinal Glennon, but from St. Louis Children's Hospital. Absolutely. And people used to think of that as a rivalry, but there too, when it came to mental health and child development and children with developmental disorders, Cardinal Glennon and St. Louis Children's Hospital were working side by side because the the need was so great and the, and the, the workers were so few. I have a question from a listener who says, in different cultures and households, there's often a bit of taboo in talking about mental health, especially between kids and parents. Is this, is this something that they hope to work on or research through this expansion? It's a good question. Well, I, I, I think one of the things that I would respond to that is what Donna mentioned about our resilience efforts, outreach efforts, and the Strong for Life campaign uh, has been how to get families not to pathologize mental health, mm-hmm. but to turn the whole proposition around and say, let's talk about emotional development and our relationships with each other and how important those are. And to get the conversation started, not on the side of stigma or uh, things that are pathological, but on the side of our strengths. And so this has been something that's been a major focus, even in the uh, initial efforts. See, Johan, let me ask you this, because uh, you won't have to do much build out, maybe a little with the two, because you have two existing buildings. You don't have to build two new buildings. Um, So give us a timeline, because, you know, I got emails. Folks are already asking, you know, when might this be online? When will you all be able to start? helping the households and and kids. Our hope is that Dr. Constantino is right now working on recruiting about 50 additional people by July of next year. So as fast as he can recruit those people and um, we would hope early 23, we could get going. Um, And um, one thing I wanted to go back to Rose that you mentioned, one of the things we've done early in this work is work with pediatricians, which are, you know, the medical home for kids. And one of the things that our Strong for Life team did is work with the pediatricians about how do you incorporate, you know, when you go to your pediatrician and you get your height and weight Mm -hmm. at each checkup to, you know, and you're looking at your immunizations, et cetera, we've added and we're working with them on how do you add questions about feelings so that you start talking about feelings early with a child and that it's okay to talk about your feelings. You need to talk about your feelings and you're assessing that so that that just becomes routine. And we're hoping that that's another element of what will reduce stigma. And that it's not that when you get into a crisis that people are then like, oh no, let's not talk about that. You talk about your feelings from the time you can remember growing up. And therefore it's, it's, it's not, it's just part of like you're talking about how much you're growing or how mm-hmm. tall you're getting or um, those types of things. So we've really been working closely with pediatricians on this work early as well. And correct me if I'm wrong, and I just want to make sure for some clarity here for our listeners, 
with what you all, this campus that is going to be totally dedicated to mental health and behavioral health needs and resources, is this the first of its kind here in Georgia? And are there any other other institutions that have something like this in other states? Well, there are, there are tremendous centers of excellence in Georgia for many things that relate to mental health and human social human development and, and, and so forth. And we have we have tremendous partnerships and opportunities you know, in the community. I think one of the things that's unique about this particular uh, 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 gift to the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta system is that it represents, a, I would say, an opportunity, a unique opportunity nationally mm-hmm. to for a health system to integrate its community's mental health care for children within a center of excellence of this nature. And so I think it really represents something unique nationally as embedded in a health system. I think in Georgia, we have many other centers of excellence for other facets sure. of what they want to work with. Well, you all probably not as co-located. I mean, this right, is going to provide right. a unique opportunity to co-locate a lot of services. Um, and that's one of the things we're also excited about is working with other partners and providing our goal is to provide them with the opportunity to locate on this campus exactly. as well. That was so my that, next question about yeah, partnerships. We really want where there, there are some great people that we've gotten to know along this journey and and we want to you know we want to we want whatever children's does to complement what's already there right and that's what's so important because there aren't enough resources and boy is this is an area we need to leverage capability and we sure need to hold up and strengthen everybody that's out there working in this and we need to be doing it together so that's a big part of this as well and finally as we begin to wrap up ceo uh, donna highland this is obviously major for Children's Health Care of Atlanta. And here's a question from a listener, which is kind of one of the questions I was going to ask. Obviously, you're going to have a lot of folks who will be seeking resources. That seven-year wait that Dr. Constantino mentioned, obviously you all will be able to make sure that that doesn't happen. But are you, you have concerns about will you will you reach a point where there is a backlog of, of, of kids oh, yeah. and households? And how do you handle that? Yeah, we're very worried about that because we know there's a lot more demand than there is supply. And it goes back to there is a huge shortage right now in this country of professionals that work in this field. And that's probably going to be that will be a great limiting factor. One of the one of the issues and, you know, I want to do one shout out to House Bill 1013 that was passed last year unanimously in Georgia, because what that says is there needs to be parity in mental health care. And that means what services are provided and what they get paid because you can't get people to go into professions where they can't get paid. And so that is another major component. But Rose, this is going to take us a while. And I hope that your listeners will understand that um, this crisis didn't occur overnight. And as much as I would love nothing more than to be able to fix it quickly, it is going to take us time. And we do expect that there's going to be a big backlog of patients. So we are we are concerned about that and we're going to do our best. But that is an, an unfortunate reality that we've got to go find this workforce. And in some cases, we're going to have to help build the workforce yeah. that, that can tackle this. Donna Highland. Well, what, what, I would just want to add Rose, real quickly. Things, I will. One of the things that we have to do is do it well, because if the community doesn't understand and, and can't imagine what's possible when the work is really done well, we're going to be stuck forever. We have to demonstrate what's possible. And I'm hoping that from there, it's going to continue to grow to the whole population. All right. Well said, Dr. John Constantino, Chief of Behavioral and Mental Health at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Also Donna Highland, CEO of Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And talking about a major, major announcement that's going to help so many households here in Georgia. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Our pleasure. And Closer Look continues now from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. If you're looking for one word to describe this election season here in Georgia, perhaps 
this comes to mind? Oh, okay, we, we, we get it. That That's a word. Uh, but let's just get the latest from our WABE politics team, Raul Bali and Sam Greenglass. Welcome. Hey, Rose. What's up, Rose? Uh, Sam, I'll start with you. What's the one word you use to describe this uh, election season? Tiring. Good word. I'm sleepy, Rose. <laughs> Raul? Exhausting. I, I said that on stage the other night at the uh, NPR Politics podcast, and I hate to admit this. I was so exhausted, I actually fell asleep at a red light two days ago. Ooh, don't do that. I know, yeah, I come know. On, come on, man. You can't, yeah. But I mean, that's how tired I am. Yeah, well, we need to send the WABE cruise, cruise mobile to come get you. Don't, don't do that. Uh, Sam, where are you? So, Rose, I am not obviously in the studio or in my house right now. I am coming to you from Monroe, Georgia, in Walton County. I'm actually standing uh, right in the courthouse square uh, of the historic Walton County Courthouse, built 1883. And uh, I'm here for a Herschel Walker rally. Uh, there's a pretty huge crowd already gathered, a lot of Run Herschel Run signs and shirts. And there's a line kind of all the way down the, the sidewalk of people waiting to check in to cheer on uh, the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate. Well, let's be- begin with this latest news regarding Herschel Walker. There was a press conference yesterday. Uh, Sam, take our listeners who may not be familiar. What was that about? So, uh, you know, just about two weeks before Election Day, uh, there is another report of a woman who says that Herschel Walker uh, encouraged and paid for her to have an abortion. And she says that it was an abortion that she did not want, that she was pressured into it. And the reason that this matters on the campaign trail is as a candidate, uh, Walker has taken a very stringent stance on abortion uh, back in May, telling reporters, including myself, that uh, he supports a policy uh, that would ban abortion without exceptions. Uh, He's softened that stance a bit since, Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, something that is certainly creating waves on the campaign trail right now. And I want to play a little bit of this press conference yesterday. Of course, it was with Gloria Allred, who's an an attorney who's known for taking so many cases like this. Uh, Let's play a little bit of that. After discussing the pregnancy with Herschel several times, he encouraged me to have an abortion and gave me the money to do so. I went to a clinic in Dallas, but I simply couldn't go through with it. I left the clinic in tears. When I told Herschel what had happened, he was upset and said that he was going to go back with me to the clinic the next day for me to have the abortion. He then drove me to the clinic the following day and waited for hours in the parking lot until I came out. He then drove me to get medications and supplies as prescribed and then drove me home. Sam, first of all, uh, the woman is identified as as a Jane Doe. The name was not given. Um, Do we have any response from the Walker campaign from Herschel Walker? We do. Uh, Yesterday on the campaign trail, uh, Walker was asked to respond to these latest allegations, and he called them lies and foolishness, uh, which is pretty consistent with the response that we've seen from him and the campaign uh, over the last couple of weeks as these allegations have come out. Uh, And, you know, national Republicans have responded, too. He was on the campaign trail with Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina yesterday, who backed him up on that front. And today, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas will be campaigning right behind me with Herschel Walker. So we do see uh, national Republicans, at least, really coalescing around Walker, uh, despite uh, these latest accounts. And have we heard or anything from Senator Warnock's camp here? Yeah, and that's kind of a departure from when some of these allegations first started to spill out uh, last month. Warnock, even on the debate stage in Savannah, was really hesitant to directly criticize Walker and bring in some of these personal parts of the campaign into the debate. Uh, But yesterday he released a pretty strong statement uh, criticizing Walker, saying that he's not fit to serve in the U.S. Senate. Yeah, I want to turn to Raul for a moment because Raul, what what has been sort of Sam is talking about it, but mm-hmm. the reaction from uh, Republicans and and how they've been able to sort of stick with 
Herschel Walker on this. What have you been hearing? I know you've also talked to some voters. We'll get to that in a moment. But let's start with the Republican base. You, you know, Sam kind of hinted at it. Look, the national Republicans, state Republicans, the conservative media, they're talking about this is not about Herschel Walker. Mm -hmm. This is about control of the United States Senate and by extension, stopping the agenda of President Joe Biden. And you know what? It's starting to seem like this message is working. So at a different Herschel Walker rally, I spoke to Robert Bennett of Richmond Hill. I'm not worried about his past. I'm worried about my future with Warnock. And um, Warnock's got a past too. And, and I'm not surprised that nobody's bringing that up. Not that I, I care to be, get personal with any candidate, but I, I, think, I think the issue is is that the Democrats are doing a better job at, at um, discrediting Herschel Walker. And I think Herschel Walker's a good guy, and I think he's going to win the election. And you've heard me talk about on the air that there's been this gap with Republican and conservative voters between the percentage that, uh, that Brian Kemp is getting versus Herschel Walker. One of the things I want to watch for is, is that gap closing? Mm -hmm. Is Herschel Walker getting closer to the number Brian Kemp is pulling uh, when it comes to Republican conservative voters? Well, sounds like you're saying that the Republican base is trying to, for lack of a better word, spin, or they want to make sure to their base that let's focus on the end game here, which is control of the Senate. And but you've been speaking to voters just in general as well, right? Absolutely. And 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 you know, the important thing is, you know, you've been hearing, you know, this argument both from Republicans and Democrats that it's about this issue or that issue. You look at polls and it's this issue. You know, Republicans have been focusing on inflation. They've been focusing on gas prices. They've been focusing on crime. Democrats have been focusing on abortion and gun violence. You know, but I think always the great thing is when when Sam and I go out in the field, we talk to voters and we mm -hmm. talk to people. We're sometimes reminded that, you know, some of the things that we've been thinking and hearing may be different. So one of the voters I talked to, I headed out to Mountain Park Activity Center mm -hmm. uh, on Sunday. Beautiful day. I mean, really beautiful day. And I uh, was just talking to some of the early voters. And one of the early voters I talked to was Gail. She didn't give me her last name. And she's from Gwinnett County. And, and, and what I want you to listen for is to realize how many issues brought her to the table. It's education. It's um, inflation. It's like the, the prices of everything are so high right now. Um, even the rights of women, I think that's huge right now. Um, that brings me out here. And just the working, the working person, the person who's working and what, what impacts me in my life every day is basically like, like we said, like inflation and money and how much am I spending on gas and how much am I spending on food and, and me trying to put my children through college and can I afford that? Now, she didn't specify whom she was voting for, but talked about the issues. Sam, I want to ask you a question. Is that what you're also hearing from voters, that they want to focus on specific issues and not necessarily, you know, characteristics or, or allegations related to the candidates? I mean, look, I think it's both. But I think also we have to remember that, you know, we think about how people vote in kind of this cut and dry way. But and for a lot of people, it is, you know, people are either going to vote Democrats or Republicans up and down the ticket. And it's not really a question for them as they're headed into this voting season. But there are people who have like kind of complicated views who are trying to weigh these multiple issues that are going on. You know, not everyone's a single issue voter. I mm -hmm. talked to one voter in Alpharetta who cared like Raul's voter about inflation and abortion. And that resulted in her splitting her ticket, saying she was going to vote for Governor Kemp and for Senator Warnock. Raul, might we, and I think an analyst and strategist will say that you might see a lot of cross people crossing party lines to vote for a different candidate than that does not align with their party affiliation. I think that's mainly going to happen at the top of the ballot, mainly with that Senate race, you know, and maybe a little bit of the governor's race. I think when you go further down the ballot, people are going to vote straight Republican, straight Democrat, unless there's an exception here or there. You know, I've been hearing a little bit of that in the uh, state school superintendent's race where there may be a little crossover. But it really seems like this is what's happening at the top, whether it's the governor and the Senate race. And, and I still need to leave out there the idea that there are possibly going to be voters who may be skipping a race, mm. uh, specifically the Senate race. 
um, you know, over for, for different reasons. Uh, Sam, I know that you are getting ready there for a, a, a press, a rally, I guess, if you will. Are you hearing? We know that President Obama is expected to be in town tomorrow. Sam, do you know if there's going to be any big names coming in? Other, uh, We mentioned Cruz and some other folks are coming in for the Republicans. I mean, I would expect to see former Vice President Mike Pence again. Uh, he campaigned for Kemp during the primary, uh, and so I wouldn't be surprised if he is back in Georgia uh, in these days before voting. Uh, but, you know, I just want to point out the interesting thing about former President Obama coming to stump for Democrats here is this is at a moment when Democrats are not really eager to campaign with our current president, Joe Biden, and so now you know, 10 years since Obama last ran a campaign of his own, he is still probably the most popular Democrat to have campaign alongside you, especially when we're talking about turnout for Democrats and turnout of African-American voters. But, you know, I just I even old enough to remember a time during the Obama administration when Obama was unpopular on the trail and it was Joe Biden was mm -hmm. the one that people in swing states yeah. who wanted to come and stuff for him. So things do change. Absolutely. There's another name that we have noticeably seen not pop up here yet, and that's former President Trump. We haven't, you know, I'm, I think we've now reached the point where we know he's probably not going to come. We saw a rash of, of new dates and places where the former president's going and Georgia's not one of them. So it's interesting. The current and the last president are not going to be the ones here in the battleground state in America. Well, let's focus on that for a moment, Raul, because considering that there's this Fulton County special grand jury related to former President Donald Trump and allegations of criminal misconduct to overturn the 2020 elections. Can you believe that we're still talking about this? Raul, remind our listeners who's been subpoenaed, who's testified, who's fighting not to appear and Who's said they ain't coming and all that stuff? So, you know, in terms of the biggest name that we've been hearing in the past 24 hours, it is former President Trump's uh, chief of staff, Mark Meadows. Mm -hmm. uh, he was one of the key figures in the Trump circle uh, that the Fulton County Special Grand Jury wants to hear from. Meadows uh, was kind of covered that last 10 months of the Trump presidency that, you know, the run up to the 2020 elections. And then, of course, everything after Mark Meadows was, you know, you may remember part of that infamous phone call mm -hmm. between former President Trump and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, where Trump asked Raffensperger to, quote, find enough votes to help him win Georgia. Also, Meadows took part in a White House meeting where former President Trump and others discussed the certification of electoral votes, including Georgia. Look, that's the basis of this whole idea of overturning Joe Biden, President Joe Biden's victory in Georgia. It was to replace Georgia's 16 Democratic electors with 16 Republican electors on January the 6th. Mm -hmm. That's what's the key. So Meadows is, is still appealing. You know, he doesn't want to testify. Main argument is executive privilege. Mm -hmm. My conversations with the former president are privileged. Look, in the end, everybody who's been called has been losing in court. You know, yeah, well, I ahead. just want because I want our listeners to understand, too, that for Senator Lindsey Graham, he actually went to the our nation's high court. And perhaps for some of those who've also been subpoenaed, they're going to look, look mm -hmm. at that as a, another pathway. Now, we should note. Justice Thomas did not say you don't have to appear. He's just temporarily suspended, mm -hmm. saying, okay, now you all need to go back and work it out, get your arguments together. And the argument, by the way, is a little different. So Mark Meadows is arguing my conversations with the president sure. were executive privilege. Lindsey Graham is arguing that my conversations with the Georgia Secretary of State's office was because I am a lawmaker. These are part of my legislative duties. And, of course, the court's like, you sure this is really about your legislative duties? Right. Or were you working, working for the former president? Now, do we know... Will there be any rulings? Probably not before November 8th, because that could get a little... Yeah, this, and Bonnie Willis, yeah. who's our, the Fulton County District Attorney, probably doesn't want to deal with any backlash. She has effectively shut things down. She did that back on, I believe, October the 7th. She effectively you know, brought things kind of a stop, going to bring it back after the election. Judge Robert McBurney, who is overseeing this case, has been very sensitive to the idea of, of politics around this. You know, so... You know, one of the things he did, for example, was 
he the the only person who's kind of gotten out of appearing in front of this grand jury is the Republican uh, lieutenant governor candidate Burt Jones, Jones. Mm-hmm. because of a conflict of interest. You know that that the district attorney Fonnie Willis is supporting the Democratic opponent. Otherwise, everything we've seen is judges say, "Look, you've been subpoenaed. You need to show up and talk." All right. So November eighth can't get here fast enough for some folks. <laughs> Sam, as we begin to wrap up, I'll start with you. What are you going to be paying attention to in these last week and a half so leading up? Well, I think one thing I'll be keeping my eye on is voting and how the voting process works. Um, So far, early voting has gone pretty smoothly. We've seen record turnout for a midterm election. You know, we crossed that million vote threshold earlier this week. Um, So but as we get closer to Election Day, you know, we'll be watching some of these things like mass voter registration challenges. Do those, you know, overwhelm election offices? We've heard talk of, you know, election deniers being trained to be poll watchers. And then we'll be, of course, once we get through Election Day, watching for lawsuits and whatever fallout happens for as the vote after the votes are counted. And Sam, remind our listeners, what exactly is the duty of a poll watcher here? Poll watchers what are you looking are, for? So poll watchers are uh, trained uh, and situated from both political parties, uh, basically to have outside observers watching to make thing, sure that everything is going smoothly and above book in uh, polling locations, you know, almost you know, slightly different, but kind of the same, a similar role to what journalists play and, you know, checking out election sites and seeing how things are going. Yeah, but we don't have the badge that says official poll watcher. This is true. (laughs) Raul, what about you? What are you watching for up until November 8th? I'm going to be covering the rally with former President Obama tomorrow. We're obviously going to, you know, see what he has to say. A reminder, the second debate between Governor Kemp mm-hmm. and Democratic challenger Stacey Abrams. That's on Sunday. I love debates. Everybody know, everybody who's listened to WAB knows that, that I love debates and when we watch that. And to me, always, I always find it interesting where and where a candidate stops and who is with them. Mm-hmm. That That's always interesting to me because it, it, it what message are they sending? You know, if with Herschel Walker, what you keep seeing is he's got big name Republicans and the Senate. That's kind of the focus. Brian Kemp, it's local officials, local Republicans. I always find that interesting of where people are. Like Brian Kemp hasn't been in, in the Atlanta area. No, he's, this week. In this past week, he's been in a lot of rural parts of Georgia. And, and we should know that has been it traditionally has been a, a stronghold for the GOP candidate. Stacey Abrams was around and Spelman and Morehouse had their their homecoming this past weekend. So, of course, obviously that is her base, too. Are we seeing Abrams getting out in the rural community at all? You're seeing a little bit of it. I think she uh, she's got she either just did Milledgeville or is about to do Milledgeville um, a little bit outside of the Augusta area that she's also going to uh, in Grovetown, which is Columbia County. So you're seeing. But I always find it interesting where people are stopping and who's mm-hmm. stopping with them. Is there a race that you think is not getting enough attention? Now, I, I was a panelist on the uh, attorney general forum, the debate, which should have been longer, by the way. Press club people. <laughs> I need more than 30, 28 minutes, you know, but Sam. (laughs) I mean, I think there's some really important races down ballot, Uh, attorney general, secretary of state. uh, Both of the those jobs have really been at the forefront of the news when it comes to abortion, when it comes to election integrity. Uh, However, I think uh, it's polls at least are showing that those races don't look to be incredibly tight right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Secretary Raffensperger, I believe in most polls, has the broadest lead of any of the Republican candidates on the ticket. Uh, but again, these are offices that maybe most people didn't think so much about before mm-hmm. the last couple of years, but have been kind of thrust into the spotlight as some of these issues that affect everyday life for people, uh, you know, really cross paths with the jobs of these constitutional officers for the state. All right, Ro. You know what? I'm also watching some of the local state uh, legislative races that I find interesting. You've got a very close race between State Representative Mary Robichaux versus former Representative uh, Scott Hilton. That's kind of in the Johns Creek area, mm-hmm. kind of a little to the east. You've got a Asian on Asian matchup mm-hmm. with uh, State Senator Michelle Au now running in, in for a state house race mm-hmm. against Republican Narendra Reddy. That's it's interesting to see mm-hmm. that dynamic. So I'm definitely there are things I believe we're going to be able to learn 
from those local races of what's going on with the politics of, of, of Georgia, especially in the suburbs of Atlanta? Well, you all, I think, Raul, you mentioned the word exhaustive or exhausting when yes. we started this conversation. And Sam, I forgot what your word was. Tiring. Tiring. So we're in the same genre right now. So, yeah, just hang in there for our listeners a little bit more. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll let you, we'll allow you all to get some rest. Sam Greenglass is on the road following the Herschel Walker campaign in Monroe, Georgia. Is that right? That's right. How long is that drive? Uh, about an hour. Not too bad. And some beautiful fall colors changing along the way. So not right. a bad way to spend an afternoon. Bring me some apples back. And then Raul Bali, the other half of our dynamic WABE politics team. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. We always Thanks love so it. Thanks so much, Rose. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Rezell, and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder, let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And, of course, if you missed any of today's show, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And, of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Listen, have a safe and healthy, fun Halloween weekend, whatever y'all doing. And, of course, Halloween next Monday. We are actually having our WABE Halloween bash. I got to tell you, in all the 15 years I've been here, this is the darndest best, darndest. I sound like somebody from Mayberry. This is the darndest best Halloween bash I've ever experienced here at WABE. Just, just, I'm just all, I'm excited. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. I come here and dress up, Raul. I had an outfit, Grim Reaper in red, um, <laughs> but I couldn't find it. I, I was trying to grab it at the last second. <laughs> Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.